Jesus finds you well and in good spirits. My name is Asati Nu. Welcome to episode one of Overlooked Giants. In this episode, you will hear an interview with famed actress Tina D'Elia. She is best known for her role in The Pursuit of Happiness, and she is also known for her one-woman show, Overlooked Latinas. I first met Tina through a mutual acquaintance several years ago, and I recall that she was full of energy with a bright and shining personality, and that still holds true today. Fast forward a bit, and here we are in her quaint San Francisco apartment. Her welcoming energy was just as warm and comforting as her home, and we sat at her dining table, sipping tea and chatting like old friends. As I set up the equipment, we talked about the here and there and by and by of the art world, her ongoing project, Overlooked Latinas, and my exclaiming of how excited I was to work on that show with her. I remember I was anxious to get the equipment set up, not wanting to miss any more of the gold nuggets she had already shared in just the small talk. Finally, the official portion of our interview began. We're going to start with the first question. So first, tell me about you. Like, where are you from? Uh, you can tell me your name. That'd be helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. I'm Tina D'Elia. And... Um, I, I grew up in Massachusetts, although I was born in the Midwest. I was born in St. Louis. Oh. And, um, and I, um, it's an, my parents have sort of an interesting history. My dad's really Southern Italian and Sicilian. My mother's Mexican and also German. And then my mother grew up in Cali, Colombia for the first 15 years of her life. Um, so my uncles still have Colombian accents. Mm. And a lot of times when growing up, people thought I was Colombian. So it was like, oh, I'm Italian and Colombian and something else. And then I would explain like, well, I'm me- Mexican and ancestry moved to New Mexico or New Mexico just, Mexico just stayed there. And then <laughs> the ministry, uh, the United States uh, had a change of feeling about territory and land. So there we go. So, yeah, so... Um, uh, so I, I, I feel like part of my, part of my story was growing up and, and that I was accepting that as a kid that I was, that I was in this sort of, sometimes the household was bilingual, a little bit bilingual Spanish speaking, but sometimes it wasn't because my mom was used to sort of adapting. And then when she'd be with her relatives, she'd speak Spanish, adapting to sort of when she moved, um, back from Columbia, when she moved to the United States, she talked about, you know, this is, this is like the mom I don't, I don't remember. She talked about, like, I, she either lost her accent, but she also adapted and shifted her voice over time because she said initially, you know, people noticed. So, so she shifted that. And, um, uh, although I love that my mom, um, so when people say, well, you know, why don't you have a Boston accent? When I start to be like, well, my mother is from, and then my father is from, and I was actually born in St. Louis, but then we moved to Bakersfield for a year or two, and then we moved to Boston, which is where I grew up, and now I've been living in the Bay Area for 
it's going to be my 20 year anniversary in the Bay Area is coming up. So, right. So it's like, I love that. Like my, you know, story, story is never sort of just this linear way. But, um, but I say all this because I love that my mother would say things like, you know, you know, like she'd say to my brother, Peter, like, pick up your Star Wars cards, Worcester, Worcester, Winchester, Winchester, Worcester. So, um, so, uh, or there was like there wasn't um, there, like there was no such thing as a dustpan. It was always a picker upper. Right. You know, <laughs> so I got to high school and they were like trying to clean up an art class, and it was like you're looking for a dustpan. It's like oh yeah, that's what it's called. Right. Um, so I'm grateful because uh, I grew up with. Um, the, some of the artisticness that I grew up with was what my parents were already bringing. So um, my dad had studied piano and music, and my mom had danced flamenco, and um, there was a lot of percussion instruments. And so I thought that every household kind of sang and danced and, and jammed and played music and um, uh sort of acted things out and uh, like theatrically um but like low stakes right. <laughs> low stakes <laughs> so um it really spoke to my so it really spoke to my spirit artistically because I was already it was I think it was already opening something that at um at an early age I was gonna I, I, I was I was just gonna come to and be like oh this is this is the road I want to go down right so that leads me to my next question. Yes. How long have you been involved in the arts? Well, I baptized myself when I was about five years old. Oh, okay. Um, uh, children, girls, were not allowed, you know, just to wander up on the altar, mm -hmm. Catholic Church. So I just happened to have a sneaky occasion where baptism was happening in the other room. And uh, I knew that no one was in the church. And no one was going to notice me for, you know seven, eight, nine minutes. Enough time to sneak into the church, uh, tiptoe up the stairs, and start to sort of envision and see my audience and, and sort of like, I started to just have a whole um, experience mm -hmm. in front of me. I was like, I was like, okay, so I'm gonna say something really profoundly and then I'm gonna get this across. Like, I was all about wanting to connect and wanting to express. I noticed that the microphone, I mean, was I'm 5'2", so I'm like, I can't even reach that microphone, though they might hear me. But typically, like, I would watch how people would sort of blow on the mic or tap. I'm like, I can't even reach the mic. So I, I, I was, I was, I really wanted to get my message across. I wanted to get something out there. I felt the, the, the passion of wanting to connect. And then I thought, okay, we're done with that. Now I'm going to entertain, so I'm going to dance. So I danced a little bit on the altar. You know, I knew these were all the things that sort of not allowed to do. Mm -hmm. Child, a girl's not allowed to do. Um, and then when I was complete, I, like, I took my bow and I tiptoed back in. And, um, uh, you know, I didn't talk about that for a long time because I got away with it. But later, I was able to say, like, oh, that was when, you know, that was when I first, you know, made, kind of made that, came to that understanding. Right. Um, so, yes. in, in terms of being a queer woman of color, when did you discover yourself as a queer woman of color? So I have this, in, I feel like I have an interesting pathway as a mixed race woman of color that's mixed race, Mexican and white. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, and I say interesting because I, you know, I could only represent myself. Right. So interesting in that I knew that I, I, I was different, um, culturally, like culturally, I had this sense I was different growing up as a kid, mm-hmm. um, from my family, from sort of the way we did, like just sort of the way we kind of went in the world, moved in the world. Um, and my friends kind of, kind of knew too. They were just like, so it was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, And I was lost with language and identity for so long. So in Massachusetts, like, for historically, like, um, and categorically, like, people would use the word Hispanic, which doesn't resonate with me. So, but at times I used it. Um, uh, I, yeah, when I was younger, I mean, people weren't saying the, the word even Latina around me. So I was just sort of like you know, or mixed heritage or mixed race. And so it wasn't until I was in college that I was still telling people who I was in my background. So people still understood I was mixed race, that I had this uh, the mixed race identity and, um, and how I grew up and where my family was from. Um, so I felt, I felt good about feeling sort of my difference in the world because I did, I, was surrounded in Massachusetts, certainly with a lot of white people, but thank goodness not all white people. Um, and the same thing in college, there was a lot of white people in, in a lot of white people in high school for sure. Um, but I always had, um, I always had my friends of color. It was like, I always ha- I had, um, I had, I had in high school, like it was like I had my friend Hillary who later came out 10 years later. And then I had my friend Sue Rivera who, and her sister Fran and, um, uh, and uh, Sue told me she had a dream, and she was like, I had a dream that you came out to me, and you wanted me to help tell your mother. And I was like, that's a good sign of friendship. <laughs> it was like, I told my friend Hillary, 10 years later, she comes out. And then my friend Sue, <laughs> who's like my Latina friend in, throughout high school, uh, who's still my friend today, like, with, like intuitively understood me. Yeah. Um, so in college is when I started to have more conversations because it was the eight, it was the late eighties. And it, um, so I went to college 87 to 91. So, um, so most of us, uh, queer women of color and mixed race, queer women of color were reading this bridge called my back and Hacienda Cotter's making face, making soul among other books and things we were reading and conversations we were having. Um, so that really, that really spoke to me because I was like, oh, I'm starting to have more language. I'm starting to sort of, I'm trying to figure these things out. And I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know if it was part, part, I mean, part of it definitely was Gloria and Saldua. Like we worked really hard to get her to come to Earlham College in Richmond, mm-hmm. Indiana, and she did. And that was great. So I, I think it was, it, you know, it certainly wasn't one person, but talking about all kinds of identities really helped me start to feel like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm somewhere here. I'm somewhere in this. Right. So I went on this women's studies program called the Antioch Women's Studies Program from September to December of 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I immediately fell into this posse of like, so queer posse, like somebody, like somebody like suddenly came out in our queer posse yeah. and, and it was sort of like um, queer women of color and white women and um, and I'd never felt so cool in, in my whole life. 
Because I, because I, Earlham College is in the middle of Richmond, Indiana. So there, there are totally queer people of color at Earlham, but again, you know, small percentage. Right. Yeah. And um, and you and all of us would drive like three hours to go dancing in Ohio. Ah, okay. So <laughs> to 1470 in Dayton, Ohio, which oh, is still there. Yeah, you know, I'm from Dayton. Yeah, which <laughs> I mean, 1470 is a freaking amazing place. It is. Yeah. Uh, is it still there? I hope it's still there. Like that was for me the first time in my freshman year of high of college because of my friends because of my friends at Earlham it was the first time also that I met like black trans women um, at fourteen seventy. It was like you're gonna meet my friend Chris, and I'm like great. Um, and I and I I was really educated so it was like my friends were like we're gonna educate you and then I'm like I meet Chris. Chris is like hey nice to meet you and I'm like oh my god like I like. Things were happening right. so fast, yeah. and that was the same thing that I feel like happened when I got to, and, and, I, and the only reason I remember her name is Chris is I said to my friend Scott, like in the last 10 months, I was like, Scott, I loved meeting your friend. He's like, you met my friend Chris. She's still gorgeous, and she's still great, and we still in touch, and I'm like, I was like, oh my God, see? Yeah. Like we, like, um, because, right, like, Everyone sort of being able to be who they are and be out and sh and share that was so important. But yes, at any rate, 1470, very important. So there I am on this Women's Studies program. I'm so excited because I'm like, oh my God, the first time I'm in a posse. <laughs> and I remember really clearly my friend Janine Corbet, um, who's Puerto Rican, um, from Staten Island. We haven't stayed in touch. We did for a while. She doesn't know that that's who inspired me to create my character, Angel Torres. Oh, wow. Right on. Okay. It was Janine. Um, Janine was so badass. She is still badass. I'm sure I'm sure she's still badass. Um, I think she still does political work. At any rate. Um, so I feel like she was really supportive and kind of like wanting me to just be really more out and solid within my identity and self. And then my friend uh, Lynn, um, who is biracial, African-American biracial, she was like, she's like, well, do your homework <laughs> before you start claiming that identity, right. you know? Um, and that to me is a really different path being, for me, being, being mixed race. And, I, and in some ways I sort of saw my mom kind of walk that path too, because I saw how my mom had different selves in different places and what parts of her would come out. Um, um, you know, to the point where my mom would even would even like hide her wedding ring because because <laughs> I think my mom was just wanting to be also like showed me like I want to be an independent woman and not be seen as like yeah, yeah. you know Mrs. Delia because <laughs> because we grew up in a middle class you know small town um, I think my mom was like no I want to go off and do my thing so. Um, but when people really knew my mom, they knew like the languages that she spoke and that, you know, that she traveled and did political work and that she was the first person to take me and my sister to, um, when we were 11, like U.S. out of El Salvador March. And that really impacted my life and my work and my politics. So, um, so thanks to Janine and Lynn and all the books we were reading and the countries we were traveling in and then the conversations we're having with different people. Um, and not a lot of women of color, but some women of color, black German women, Turkish women in, in Berlin and, and Munich. 
Um, and then, and, and well, and then it was right before um, uh, the war in Bosnia. So it was still sort of on the map. It was still sort of Yugoslavia. Right. So, um, so it, I, it was. The time was sort of right, and I was out. I was out of sort of like studying my butt off in school, to to be able to be like, who? Yeah, who am I? Like, what? 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 How? What am I claiming? And what has always been a part of me? I just didn't have language. How does it feel? Um. So and I and sort of sitting with it so that it wasn't it wasn't as though like I just found out I'm a woman I'm a queer, I'm a mixed race woman of color, <laughs> which is again which is so different. It's just sort of like she left and she was some kind of Hispanic. She came back and she's something else. You know, like I don't understand. You know, you now are you checking boxes or is it just different language? I don't know what character I'm playing, but I guess some some person that's not very friendly. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I, I kind of, that's sort of what I felt like from the, from kind of like an, a white lens of, of sort of, um, of demographics, mm -hmm. you know, you know, sort of like leaving behind, like checking the boxes or like, like, okay, well, I'll check everything that applies to me. Okay. Right. Right. So I, cause this isn't necessarily one of the questions, but it does bring me to want to ask you in terms of the terminology, I know queer is kind of new. Yeah. To the yeah. To the language that we're using now. So I mean, how with all of the different and you know, queer I think is more broad in terms of where people are. Yeah. Because it's not just lesbian. It's not just gay. You know, it's just now you have like this huge array of people that all kind of just decide to love how they want to love. Yeah. And so in in the 80s and you know early 90s and college and when you were discovering a, a big part of who you were how were you able to describe that in your language like I mean just verbally how could you describe that to your friends or did were you did you not have to and maybe it was just kind of like an understanding yeah um uh I I would say that first First, it was becoming, first it was embracing, like, when I was 20, like, um, like, kind of, like, first steps. Mm -hmm. Like, first it was embracing and being like, oh, like, yeah, I think I'm a lesbian. So, knowing, having a queer identity since I, I was 18, a senior in high school, but, um, and I, I was just like, oh, I'm a lesbian. And then, um, language-wise and politics-wise, then it was like, oh, I'm a dyke. I'm a dyke. So dyke carried on for some time in the 90s. Um, so whether it was like a way to claim it, even if, even if one wasn't a dyke, sometimes it was a way to claim it to be able to be like, leave me, leave me the F alone, you know, or like, I'm here. Um, I, you know, that's right. I'm your worst nightmare. Like I, like, I have to state this long thing that my friend Shoshana used to say. She used to sort of take it all back, like, that's right, I'm a muff diving, you know, like, pussy-looking, you know, motherfucking dyke. Right. That's right, that's what I am. So it was to really sort of push it forward yeah. so that, you know, which kind of <laughs> took kind of like right. cis straight men kind of aback, just being like, that's right, that's who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, um, and I, uh, and it made sense because I, I do remember after Gloria Zaldua leaving when she came to speak, there was this whole like hate violence was written on a photograph of hers. So then like the queer communities just came out in droves and like 
we wrote stuff, we created performance. We were just like, let's just shove it in their face. Like, you know, kissings and, you know, like we were, we were just like, you know, it, it wasn't going to stop it. Like, you know, that's messed up blah, 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 in all these ways. It was like, no, we're just going to keep going. We're just yeah. going to keep pulling through. So, so, um, I feel like, I feel like I probably started saying queer more also during that trip. Um, be- because I remember at times yelling across like the, the quad green area to my friend Becca Silva and being like, queer, dyke. <laughs> and not even thinking about the fact that other people maybe didn't, right. didn't know what we're talking about. But to me, it didn't matter. Like suddenly it was just being like, yes, yeah. yes, hello. Um, uh, and then, in, and like, you know, Becca, her voice was even louder than mine. Mine was pretty loud. But so, so I feel like it was this, like, yeah, like I, I loved it. I, I, I was, I, Earlham College was a, was a small place at the time of, um, as far as student body. At the time it was about 1,300 students. And it's a Quaker school, but it's also a conservative board. So, the, so there would be these clashes between like some what progressive, some professors being progressive, some of the student body being really progressive. And in a way, almost like, you know, maybe there's this liberal medium, and then there's this sort of like conservative voice that was actually pretty much more quiet. So, <laughs> and, and I think what happened was that, you know, then we just got louder and bigger. I was like, Ah! Um, that's you know that's a good way to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like I got a little off topic, but um, yeah. So um, it was uh, so at that point, um, so at that point, um, uh, Act Up had been visible. Queer Nation had been visible. So so we were already. So I feel like we as sort of like queers and allies were already. Um, we're already taking, like, either taking on kissins or taking on um, learning, you know, learning from sort of like our ancestors, all the sort of uh, protests mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, how to be in people's faces. So I remember very distinctly, I feel like there was two ACT UP events that I went to in London. And the second one was about AIDS, AIDS is a disaster, women die faster. I always have to say that because... <laughs> Pasta, pasta. Um, so by 1990, right, it was about now who's dying faster, and it was, and it was sort of, and and then the um, studies that weren't done on women or trans women or um, uh, other folks that weren't sort of cisgender male. Anywho, um, all relevant though because that because um, le- yeah, so it was a whole language shift. So there was a cultural shift in terms of like a few people are dying. Like, um, and, uh, I, this is where it's, I smile cause I'm like, I know I'm not alone that I think there were many of us in queer sort of circles that started to sort of say like, well, I, you know, well, yes, as a queer person, you know, dyke identified, lesbian identified. Um, so yeah, so I think part of it was for me, was a really clear political choice mm-hmm. and feeling like movement visibility ha- had to have a whole a shift because of um because of people dying and um and 
And that, and then, uh, and, and and as soon as I said act up incarnation, though immediately what I think of is all the internal conflicts that happen, which is great because I was also because I, I was also going on when I went to another national march again around like you know every couple of years there's a national pro choice march, which then you know therefore sort of like women feminist movement, and um, and I can see myself really clearly in 1992 being in the national. And CASA, the National Coalition Against Sexual Assault, because I did a lot of anti-sexual violence work when I was younger. And so at that point, it was kind of the first times I'd been in a room with other women of color and being like, and, and queer women of color saying, um, we've actually always been at the fronts of movements and holding up the back. <laughs> right. um, and, and a lot of the voices too, which is not surprising, are also black women saying like, we've always been here holding up the back or at the front and we're invisible. And so the same thing was happening for a lot of queer women of color voices. It was like, we're here and yes, we are part of, you know, changing the trajectory and yet we need to keep showing that because, um, we yeah, we need to keep saying it. So, you know, like, like, we're actually we're here doing this work. We're here doing this work. You know, maybe they're still not going to give us the microphone uh, or whatever, whatever it is. Right. So, um, I I love this. this. is a long way of answering the question. It's okay. It's fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. You're giving me like ton of information. It's yeah. Um, <laughs> but like you know, because I'm I'm put you know putting context and um and for a long time from nineteen. 89, 88, 89 to 1996, mm-hmm. 97, I, I didn't know that my queer identity also meant um, loving trans men. So even though I felt like, well, I educated myself, um, you know, like, uh, I was just like, well, you don't know everything. Like, I don't know my, I don't know my heart fully. I don't know like how there's other shifts going on. So, but I did, I did have this question in my mind when I read Stone Butch Blues. I was like, I wonder what that would be like to fall in love with someone and see them go through changes, because mm-hmm. um, that really stood out to me as one of many things in Leslie Feinberg's book. Um, yeah, it stands out to me at this moment when sort of the love of their life is saying to them, like, I, you were the love of my life once and, you know, like, sorry, sorry, honey. So, so there I, so queer identity started to shift for me when I realized that, um, that, that identities were changing and that also that could look so different. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, and this is where uh, trans and gender nonconforming um, conversations started to happen, and, and people started to be more out around, um, uh, like, I'm trans and I'm straight, and I don't want to come out, and I'm going to go move to the suburbs. And then there's like, sometimes I'll be trans and out, um, and I'm very happy to be with queer having a queer partner um and if my queer partner chooses to come out and I don't that's okay um and if we both don't come out for whatever reason that's okay um it it did make my life um through the years at times the only complication was 
knowing myself is always out and then kind of and then kind of be like um or if I wasn't with the per- with my partner at the time or person at the time me being like that's right I'm queer I'm lesbian and that was the thing that I love about being in the Bay Area is I saw other femme identif- femme queer lesbian people being um like lesbian changed over time for me too and what I appreciated it almost kind of did a circle because people used to say like well I'm not lesbian but I've never had sex with a woman and I'm almost like and I used to be like well that's fine and some people would be like well that's that doesn't make any sense and I'm like well what does the identity mean and then I realized I'm like well that's always been who I am like that's kind of been who I am kind of when I arrived. I, I did sort of arrive in this sort of my own lesbian sense of the world. world. I, I actually feel like when I either was assumed straight, some, I feel like at times it was a performance for me. I also feel sometimes like I'm, I'm in drag when I'm in a bar that's straight or in a thing that's straight. Like... I feel like I'm in drag, and it's this sort of thing where, because I can move through the world in a lot of gendered privilege, and a kind of sort of a lot of um, there are ways that sometimes, um, because I'm not pegged in on this masculine scale, if I just put a bunch of parkas on me, kind of I won't get bothered, which is great because I don't want to be bothered at the same time I recognize that either means you know some form of harassment so it's like are they you know do they want to kill does somebody want to kill me because they don't know who I am and that's a threat or um I can only be my glamorous fabulous self in at certain times um so that's true wherever I'm going with this that's true um but um so yeah so my queerness I feel my queer and my lesbianness um uh, I realized started to um, being out. Start, that started to shift. Most people know. Most people know that I'm out in my entire life. Most people know. Um, it just uh, um, uh, right nu- nuance. <laughs> Do you feel like being out has ever held you back in your career at all, in your artistry? Because I lived in Boston, um, so aside from, you know, going to school at Earlham College, Richmond, Indiana, going on the Women's Studies program, um, living in Jamaica Plain, um, a section of Boston, um, I don't know if you've ever been to Jamaica Plain, Boston. Have you been to JP? No. No, Okay. It, it was kind of like once the Park Slope and Silver Lake of Boston. Of Boston, yeah. And it was affordable. Like, there were all these things about it. It was just like, it's still, you know, in, and now it's probably pushed out. It always had a really large Puerto Rican population. And, um, but, yeah, it was, you know, I think, you know, $300 rent. Like, because there's this thing where, like, no one wants to live in JP. No one, no, no one wants to live in JP. We all wanted to live in JP. And, like, students that, you know, needed a department and couldn't afford Boston, it was like, oh, I'll go out and go live in Jiffy. You know, it was, it's kind of like what was once the East Bay. Yeah. That was, that was what it was. It was just like, you live in the East Bay? And people was like, yeah, people have lived their whole lives in the East Bay, but now nobody can afford the East Bay. That sucks. <laughs> so that was JP, and it was a great place to live, and, um, and, 
Um, I was fortunate because I went from working at a rape crisis center to working at a queer anti-violence um, nonprofit in San Francisco for 10 years. So my career as an artist usually was around, was connected to the people that I knew that were LGBTQ, um, which makes me feel incredibly fortunate. And even if I think about it, like even one of my girlfriends back in the day, which girlfriends way back in the day in 93, like she was this big time slam poet. So a lot of, so I feel like I, um, I feel like it just happened to be that the artist, the art that I was choosing to do was, thank goodness, was connected to other um, queer people. Mm -hmm. um, do you know Pam Sneed or Pamela Sneed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she was the first um, serious solo performer I ever saw at the Theater Offensive in 1993. And I, like I was mesmerized. I bought her book. I, she did a three-hour workshop. I took it there. You know, 1993, I don't even, you know, I was 20-whatever, 20 20-something. 20 um, but I remember, like, being so mesmerized, and she kind of came up towards the audience, and I'm like, this is what I want to be doing. And then the next year, like, Marga Gomez came out, and, and I got to hang out with Marga and interview her, and, and I was like, right, this is what I want to be doing, solo performance. I was like, oh, okay, right. I was like, this is my genre. Right. Um, like I am a performance poet and I am like, I like being in other people's plays, but I was like, this is what's speaking to me. So, um, I mean like, so I, I feel, I guess I feel like I've been, the blessings have happened because I feel like I've been in the bubble of these, you know, theaters and communities. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, you know, had I been in the middle of Utah with, see it, right? It'd be a completely different story. Completely different, <laughs> completely different story. I feel like it would, right, it would have to be so much more underground. Right. Yeah. So I know a lot of your work, but in from the perspective of the interview, um, do you feel, or is your artistry influenced by your sexuality in terms of how you identify? Yeah, totally. Um, great question. Yeah, it really, it is very influenced. Um, I, um, I think that, this, this, uh, writer I really like who lives in the Bay Area, Ananda Steva, she one time said to me, I said I was getting over a broken heart, so I wanted to, but I wanted to write about desire. And she's like, well, why don't you write about, um, which I did. I took her advice as a writer. She was, it was like she gave me whatever it is, a prompt. Mm. She gave me a prompt, not, not a whatever. She gave me a prompt. And she's like, well, why don't you write about the ideal desire that you want? Mm. You know, what does that person look like? You know, they can be fantastical. They can be amazing, you know. And so, um, and I'm like, yeah. So I, so I, um, I always had somebody that I did that I would typically sort of desire in my shows, just like I had in my writing. Mm -hmm. um, and regardless of whether or not I was in a relationship at the time, in love at the time, brokenhearted at the time, I feel like that's part of my inner strength is being like, I want you know, kind of like I want to, I want to bring, I want to make, I want to be embody you. I want to have you be sort of like the center, 
we'll, we'll want to have you tell the story for a while. Um, just like how, you know, someday when I do see Janine, I hope someday I do, that I can let her know, like, you know, that, like, Angel was in part an homage for sort of, like, she, I feel like she was really giving as a friend, like, she really um, educated and you know, shared, and um, since I was doing a lot of spoken word poetry, like, she would read it, and so um, encouraging, so I, um, I feel like I'm taking so much from the people around me and, and um, bringing that forward. And people that are not artists, I can't tell you how many, like how often this happens where they see me in a picture as Angel and then they look at me and they, and they go, and they're not an actor. And, I, and then I, even if they're queer, and then they go, are you Butch? <laughs> and it makes me feel a little bum because I don't, wanna, I don't want them to feel bad. Like I have to calm down and go, but, so, but I will school them a little bit and be like, I am a professional actor. But also, this is what like this is uh, what resonates with me. Right. Like it resonates with me, um, and when I say power femme, <laughs> identifying as a power queer femme, like that all of my intersections are coming together as far as like my spirituality and being a mixed race woman of color and um, my leftist politics, my lefty politics, and um, my intersectional poli feminist politics, and so. Um, So, which, which means to me, if I'm lifting weights, I'm in my sweatpants, um, you know, I've definitely done the platform gown and boa, <laughs> so, you know, sparkly, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm a goddess, yeah. I'm a drag king as Groucho Marx, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, and then I'm playing, you know, and then I'm playing a, a, a person who's you know, who is sort of more childlike, who has a hedgehog stuffed animal that, that envisions it as a child. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that to me is like, because, because all those things are femme is what I'm saying. All those things are femme to me. Like I, I do, if people want to listen, I sometimes have to stop and go, but actually when I'm in my ferocious intensity, like I will protect you. I know how to protect myself. You know, like one time I saw a, a, a person who I think was drunk and he fell and a bus almost hit him. I mean, my voice screamed bloody murder. It's like, it's the actor in me. It's the sort of like, yeah. you know, uh, living in living in a city person in me. So I, I feel like, um, I feel like I'm very, com I'm very comfortable in my feminist, mm -hmm. that, that all those things are femme, even when I'm kind of being ferocious. So when I'm honoring, um, all the people that I love, um, like, you know, like, like, uh, a butch character in Angel or like a gender nonconforming person in Carla, um, or like some intense high femmes in Lena Ann Horn and yeah. Carmelita Christina yeah. Vetta, that I'm, I'm really excited to be sort of, um, uh, you know, like feeling people's power and people's feeling people's vulnerabilities like um, finding, you know, their edge um, and, you know, I'm allowing a character to sort of show me, yeah. you know, what, what the world looks like. Um, and then it allows, because I, I love being in the body. I'm not always in my body. I try to always be in my body. And so then these characters also help me be in my body and think about that. 
in my previous show, the Rita Hayworth of this generation, we do see Angel and we do see Carmelita. Um, we also see two other characters. We see a very evil uh, character, this white lady named Kelsey Morth Python. She's very evil. And, and, um, and it's a film noir. Um, uh, Vegas is sort of this place where queer people of color like, have kind of taken over and there's, um, there's a magical realism. So, um, so, there's, so everyone is these like archetypal kind of like, you know, evil CEO lady. Right. Um, so the, one of the most sexiest characters that's the big, like the biggest bad boy of all times is Jesus Antonio Atano, <laughs> the transgender king of blackjack. And he's a combination of so many people, including my uncle Johnny, who's, who's not trans, but Johnny is in there. There's no question Johnny is in there. <laughs> but a lot of people are there. So, and the other thing that I appreciate about solo performances, you know, as a, as a casting director, like, um, when I believe in always casting real people, reality casting, you know, now we're not even, not reality TV, but now we're, you know, it's like Lily, Lily, um, Tong talks about, um, talks about like, we know we don't even have to call it diversity casting anymore. We're just going to call it like we're casting realness right. done. Yeah. <laughs> we're not casting one person to play some other kind of person. So in solo performance, what I love is then I get to sort of expand a little bit of my repertoire and play more people um, uh, for the purpose of trying of storytelling mm -hmm. um, and the storytelling that I'm interested in. And that, and that, I think, is really something, part of the core, is sort of like, who do I want to see at the center? Right. Who do I want to hear the story? Um, I very much believe in, like, everybody's kind of, all my characters are messy. I love them all. The only person I never loved was Kelsey. That's okay. <laughs> Some people thought she was a crack-up. Yeah. You know, she was very funny. I think that it's another way of also doing education. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean... Side note, I completely get where you come from because, like, even as a performer, I often just how I feel, and so sometimes I'm like fly diva, and then other times I'm like, well, just jeans and a t-shirt will be fine for this. So, but you know, it's like most people often see try to categorize me as butch, but I don't identify as either or because I just feel like I'm just a woman, and these are all of the different parts of mm -hmm. being a woman, and I think. One thing that I appreciate about what you do in um, your work is that you, you give voice to allowing people to be able to see that women can be and men can be outside of these gender norms and still exist and still be fabulous and still be like all of these different things because it really is who we are. Once we move past like mm -hmm. what the expectations are yeah. and we really get to the heart of what it is to be. I mean, I look at my mom who is like, you know, I mean, she's the feminine of the feminine, but, you know, she also will fix something. If it takes too long for my stepdad to fix it, she's just like, fine, I'll go myself, or I'll pay somebody to do it. Like, I don't, you know, it's mm -hmm. just like this independence that she has, and I learned a lot of that from her. Mm. And so understanding that you can step outside of that norm and still really survive and be okay, <laughs> I think is what you, you're able to offer in your work. And so I, I do really appreciate that. And I think it really gives voice to a lot of people who sometimes are maybe a little confused about 
mm-hmm. what it means to kind of just be yourself and dress how you feel like dressing and all of those things and yeah being who you feel like being and you know just whatever you feel like doing for the day and yeah yeah <laughs> so, yeah and th- and, th- and thank you for saying that thank you for yeah. saying that and yeah. thank you for thank you for saying that and thank you for sharing what you shared and yeah, yeah. I also just enjoy it so much yeah. I love it so much because yeah. um, I um, I feel very comforted by my characters mm-hmm. the ones that I that I you know that I feel that I'm spend so much time with right. yeah. you know, to the point that like I talk to Mary from the voice of the character <laughs> talk to David Ford my yeah. dramaturg I talk to my friends as Carla sometimes. <laughs> the other day, one of my friends goes, I'm not ready to talk to Carla right now. Like, Car- go, go, Carla, go, just go, just right. go, just go right now, just go, just go. Come back another day. Right, it was just yeah. like, it, it, like, knowing me, somebody will always come back in, yeah. like, I'm back now. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so I just have a few more questions and then we'll be done. Uh, so now we're going to get into like the relationship aspect. So mm-hmm. tell me about your first love. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that was a hard one. Oh yeah. Oh. Some more. Yeah. <laughs> so hard. Um, so Megan was my first love. She was my first love. I was a senior in college. Um, and um, it was so hard because it felt like she saw who I was before I, before I had come out. Mm-hmm. So I was in shock. Like she was sort of trying to ex- like reach out to me, and you know, and um, and I I think yeah I think that she thought I was somewhere you know. So back then in 1987. You know, she thought I was um, gay or lesbian or bisexual. Um, so what was a first for me with Megan was that first we were becoming friends um, because we didn't know each other. We just, um, she, she sort of reached out to me. I had then the sense of like, oh, okay, I guess she's looking at her sexuality. Um, and then I'm like, Am I looking at my sexuality? <laughs> in in sort of slowly getting to know each other, what what was what was cool was that um, she was very much a visual artist, but she also like loved poetry, and um, and I remember I always laugh because I remember after she broke my heart and broke up with me, and I had to um, I really wasn't going to see her. Like she actually lived in Pittsburgh and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I was going off to college. So yes, so I was very heartbroken. So I remember I had started to read, um, interview with a vampire because she, and she was just like, I want you to read this book. And it was, it was so funny because the late eighties, it could have been forever in a day with cinema and books, but like talk about like intrigue was the heartbreak of what so many of us watched. Like, I saw that movie Black Widow so many times on the screen. <laughs> you 
you know, and then it was just like, and then I always scratch my head about watching The Hunger because most of the movie is still David Bowie trying to kill somebody and eat them, which was really a bummer because it's sort of like the beginning was sort of intriguing. And then he's, he wasn't that intriguing to me. I disagreed. It was like, it took a long time to get to Catherine Deneuve. Uh, yeah. <laughs> was, it was just like, how many times did I watch it? Anywho, so, but I remember because there were these things that, that felt very Megan to me. Um, so my, my poetry was about her, even like, um, that, I, that I still wrote about many years later. And, um, uh, yes, she was androgynous. She was, she had her own style. Um, she was fi- very funny like me. Like, like if I have a, you know, if I have, like, you know, I come... Um, you know, if I have a style like, you know, like, Carla, how are you? You know, she would be like, she, you know, she would be like, oh, I, I would, you know, me and my other, the only other kind of, you know, there was a few other closeted but not closeted students on campus, on, on campus in high school then. So she would, with her friend, she would be like, we'd stick her head out the window in Harvard Square in the taxi and go like, Nancy, so good it is to see you. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> like so so all of this is relevant because I still feel like there's a like I was I found like there was something that that I was just like oh it makes sense like I'm not gonna fall in love with somebody who um is like I'm gay but like no sense of humor like be cool like of course I had to find another quirky person <laughs> another quirky person found me yeah. um and um and I remember it felt like it took five hours for like till our first kiss happened, and then by our like our second kiss, um, and then she was suspended from school, and then when she came back, um, she broke up with me. Oh. So I was like completely in love. I'm ju- like it was like the the door cracked open. The closet door cracked open, you know, I'm now I'm already, I'm like, okay, well, I'm some kind of gay, I'm some kind of bi, and now I'm completely, like, sort of in love, like, sort of torch high school, like, oh my gosh, Um, and I'm going to graduate, you know, and graduation is approaching, and um, she breaks up with me, and I, I mean, I will still, like, I, I've definitely felt crushed at certain times in my life emotionally but that was that was such a low one do you know why she broke up or why she was suspended um she was suspended so i was a day student she was a boarder um she did not follow the rules well so it was clear that there was candle wax burnt in the room no candles are allowed to be burnt in the room and I, she already had a warning. She was a little bit of a 16-year-old rebel. Gotcha. I'm, I'm a little bit like, <laughs> kind of like... Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, this is my interpretation, but I was a little bit like, Megan, you needed to clean up that mushroom. Like, your dorm parent did not need to find that wax right. that was had burned. And, um, so, um, so she was, yeah, so suspended... Um, which just, I, ha- I have this relationship with long distance mm-hmm. and love, which is just like, I was just like, um, goddess, please take me off the wheel of long distance and love. <laughs> like, I, f- I feel like it follows, it, it kind of, so I, I've been trying to like let that go in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, 
no more, no more, no more, no more. Because that just sort of carried out. Like, it, I always felt like, I felt, it felt like the well of loneliness. Like, I was like, I'm following all this historic, you know, longing. Yeah. You know, I was just like, no more, no more lesbian longing. Queer. Um, yes, so, so my first love. So I was so in love with her. And, um, and even years later in college, like, so I'd still have dreams that I would try to, like, find her. So I fell in love in college once, twice, three times. Mm-hmm. So I had, like, three different people I fell in love with at college. Um, one of them I went to college. Another person I was on the Antioch Women's Studies program with, of course. Total, like, ripe for falling in love and breakups and kissings and the whole nine yards. <laughs> Um, and then, and then there was somebody else who went to another college. So, so now it's 1992, 93, 92, 93. And now I'm ballsy and I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to find Megan and I'm just going to follow, like, I'll, I'll call this person. I'll call that person. Oh, I'll call her friend. Who's still gay. I'm sure (laughs) I'll call the gay friend (laughs) and eventually he'll lead me to Megan. So Megan and I dated. Wow. It wasn't the same thing. It never is. <laughs> it never is. So now it was kind of more like friends, and it was more like we were different, but it wouldn't have been the girlfriend that I chose. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, I was like, oh, well, now, now at least I've, now, you know, now, now like we can have sex, we can go on dates, yeah. um, you know, we're out dancing, the whole, like, before it was sort of like everything was like, um, she did have a roommate, so I remember at one point she'd be like, you know, she's like, I remember we were sort of half, you know, trying to hide from her roommate yeah. that somehow we were trying to kiss. Poor roommate knew we were, like, she knew what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? So, um, so I'm, I'm glad I had that experience, but so different. It was like, it was just entirely different times and experiences. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm happy, you know, she's, she's still an amazing artist. She's great. But yes, whew, that was my first love. Oh, rough. Yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing. I was with my first love and then we broke up and then we like tried it for a hot minute after and it was not the same. Yeah. So I definitely relate to that. Yeah. It's not, yeah, not the same. It's not the same at all. <laughs> Um, okay, so last question. Uh, what does love look like to you? Oh, wow. And you can go as deep or be as vague as you'd like. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like right now, I feel like I'm so vague. But that's okay. Yeah, it's I feel like, um, I feel like for me right now in this moment, right now in this moment, I feel like love is, um... Love of myself, love of my friends, love of my family, love of my community. Um, love that I have a body, that I can perform art. Um, love of, of um, love of all the, like, the blessings mm-hmm. in my life. Love of, like, the gratitudes that I have. And then there's, like, and then there's, like, sexy love. And to me, sexy love is, like, is actually, like, um, like, taking a vacation to go visit friends yeah. like that to me like that's what's sexy then it's like going somewhere hot dressing up because it's summer yeah like i'm gonna go to minneapolis st paul and i can't wait because i'm like i'm like oh 
great, it's going to be late June. I'm going to, you know, wear something fun. I'm going to get my cocktail or my wine on, have dinner, be with my friends. Um, so, um, being myself, mm -hmm. being with people that are being themselves, um, feeling seen, seeing other people, feeling heard, hearing, hearing other people. Um, I, um, I also feel like love when I think about love, sometimes I do think of my own loneliness, not because I live alone, but just that, um, just because I can feel what it's like to also have a broken heart too. I can feel that and that's present with me. And so, um, I think that, that love is, is about, I'm like, okay, no matter what, how am I going to live my best life? And it's like, okay, being with people and being a part of, being connected to people, like, um, What would you say is like at the root of your self-love? I want to say humor. I don't know why. Mm. Um, maybe because that's connected to my creative, my creativity, mm. which is just one of my strengths and my skills. And kind of circling back to the five-year-old baptizing self. Right. Yeah. Um, so... Um, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a, alone for sure, you know, I want to feel, I want to feel all of my emotions, mm -hmm. period. When I'm alone in this, you know, crazy world, trying to get through the day, all the things I'm doing, like whatever I can do to bring humor in, mm -hmm. I mean, trust me, I'm like, oh my God, I watched, I watched that monologue of Stephen Colbert like seven times. So that's not going to make me laugh anymore. What's going to be like? I'm like, have a new one. Like I, um, like I want to feel myself laugh, and I love when I can make someone else laugh, mm -hmm. and I love when someone can make me laugh. Um, so then, if there is no one, like yes, then it's sort of like how I can find um, what can what can bring me love or joy. So. It can be totally connected to sort of being a writer and a performer, solo performer. But even if I'm not, there's no performance involved. Mm -hmm. um, that is a part of who I am. That um, uh, I, I I am not a human being that walks around serious all the time. There there is definitely like a serious, <laughs> at times you know stressed out not you know but a stressed out person in me. So the other side is there's this like really light um, and like kid-like pers person in me and I think that um, I think that's really healing and helpful yeah. and that's a good balance yeah. I agree <laughs> <laughs> well that is really it right. um, yeah I mean thank you you're welcome really thank fun. you I do hope that you all enjoyed this interview with Tina D'Elia. Please make sure to follow the links that are attached to the podcast for more information about where she will be performing and how you can reach out and contact her. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for more to come. Be well, be blessed.
One love. Ooh.